0: This is Alex Park, and this is Restoration of Realism, Episode 2. So I'm going to continue with my explanation of neorealism, neopolitik, under the modern context, because I'm focusing mostly on his, histor- historical backgrounds, so I'm going to focus on modern back- on based on modern principles. So, one of the things I'm pretty sure the reactions I could get from my first episode, one of the refutes I could get, is, The assertion that, you know, prioritizing your country, nationalism, that may not be true. There could be a new system that applies and works based where you, where all people can live prosperous lives. So when I, when I mentioned, for example, when I said TR's policies of imperialism to some degree was inevitable to to strengthen and represent American people's interest, people might, I, I remember, I remember Whenever I said this, people, my friends or people would say, "You know, this." But what about the lives of Filipinos? What about the lives of other colonies that you the United States made, like Cuba or, or Hawaii or these regions that were faced with so much abuse, like Native Americans, for instance, too? What about those people? For, for the sake of representing American peoples, and just we, the United States, have killed them and abused them so why so justifying those actions under the names of national interest and, and and power and hegemony or all sorts of other realist principles is inappropriate and inhumane is one of the attacks i get is one of the attacks on realism whenever i defend certain policies that have been applied based on realpolitik so the answer i give you is this is where the tragedy and the sad part of realism comes. So I've been talking about mostly on you know, a hopeful basis of how realism actually helps the world. Now this is where kind of the sad parts of realism come. And this is shown greatly in one of the greatest realist professors. And in my opinion, the greatest intellectual of in the 21st century. John Mearsheimer wrote in his book, The Tragedy of Great Power Politics. It is a tragedy. That's the way. He talks about how powers, great powers, like are are inevitably subject to conflict that causes people, one side or the other, and people in the middle of the conflict, to be in a painful and a suffering situation. For example, when Germany and Britain had their conflict over power to become the number one power during the early nineteen hundreds, what did it lead to? It led to World War One. It was an unfortunate consequence as a result of two countries. And honestly, it could have been just Germany and Britain fighting at it against each other. But all our countries were brought into this conflict and World War I, one of the biggest tragedies happened. Same with World War Two. Germany was trying to regain power, revamp, revamp, revive, and challenge Britain once more by becoming, the, to become number one. And what did it lead to? It led to World War Two. A greater atrocity than World War (laughs) One. So, you look at that, and we can argue: is this preventable? To a certain degree, it was preventable. To a certain degree, it wasn't preventable. That is what say. The conflict between Germany and Britain in this case was inevitable, because the reasons why they had the conflict was was true in every way. Let's just look at Germany and Britain, for example. Britain. Britain went into conflict with Germany to make, to make sure they don't surpass them because they knew if Germany surpassed them, then they will be target to, of abuse and and exploitation by Germany because in international relations, it is like a jungle where if there's a hierarchy between the strong and the weak, the weak is always abused by the strong for, to represent the strong's interest. If, you don't, if you're not strong yourself, the others will tear you apart. That is what national, international politics is. That is its fundamental nature. And let's look at what happened after World War I. What happened to Germany? Germany lost, so Britain was the strong, and Germany was the weak in this case. What happened after World War I? Germany was destroyed. The Treaty of Versailles wrecked the country. The Weimar Republic was a mess. Berlin was a mess. There were revolutions, riots, violence. The economy went to. the biggest inflation ever, inflation in history, people were living miserable, the German people lived miserable lives, it was a hellhole, they lost their colonies, their economy, their strength, and they've lost their territory, they lost territories by Germany, their economic plants, like mines, and all sorts of industrial rights, France, Took opportunity of that and build the companies there where it were solely represented for the French economy, not the German economy. It didn't benefit them in any way. They were totally destroyed, destroyed by the French british, the winners of the World War one, so obviously Germany, looking at that, is like, yeah, if we lose and we are on the weak, we face huge consequences. Our people were destroyed. So we got to be strong to prevent those abuses from happening, which is what led to the second conflict in World War Two, and this is unfortunately not preventable. Pre- not preventable at all because it is human nature. It is part of what how the world works. You cannot prevent this type of conflict from happening. Because they have justifiable reasons why they want to be in the strong, if they want to be strong if you, if you're as long as you 're in the strong, you cannot be in the weak. Then you might say, then how about we create a system where the str- where the strong in international relations or in general does not abuse the weak? how can we how, why not we prevent that kind of system from happening and this is and i 'm sorry, but this is also delusional and wrong. Uh, international relations is a jungle where people tear each other apart it is part in many ways it one is part of human nature where if you're strong you abuse the other and you accrue strength To protect yourself. So you gotta have strength to protect yourself. But the other degree is because we have limited resources. It's because of the nature of the world where we have limited resources. We do not have unlimited money. We do not have unlimited food. We do not have unlimited water. We do not have unlimited everything in this world. So to make sure you have a control of a stable access of all these things that is necessary in human life, you have to be strong. You have to be strong and is the tragedy? It is like that tragedy. So, for people to have stable, for countries to have a stable access, you got to prevent other people from having a stable access to that. So you you have to be strong enough to have access to water, food, and all these other basic necessities of life, uh, like stability, security, economy, etc. To pre- you, you got to make sure you're strong enough to have that, while the others aren't, because if everyone is strong. Then these limited resources are up for grabs by everybody. So it's like if you have five, if you have five, if you have five hot dogs, but there's seven people, two people are for sure are gonna miss out from getting a hot dog. There's, it's dark. That's how the world is. There was li- limited basic resources, and I'm not just talking about food or water or these kinds of stuff. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about energy. I'm talking about oil. I'm talking about security, like military, military resources. I'm also talking about economic resources. There is a lot of resources people need to live a stable life, and unfortunately, it is almost impossible for every single country in this world to have access to it equally. It just doesn't work because it just doesn't work, because one, is because of human nature, and one is because just, there just isn't enough for that in this world, and also you cannot tell the United States for instance, if you have 5 hot dogs give up your, if you if they have, out of 10 hot dogs if the United States has 5 if you tell the United States, yeah give your hot dogs to other countries why would they do that? they have their people to feed what if next year they don't have access to five hot dogs like they did like they did what if they don't so they got to hold on to it because of the unpredictable nature of human of life in general they have hot dogs now but what if they don't have it next year so they gotta hold on to it as an they gotta hold some of it as a backup they can't give it to other people just because other people don't have it it is a tragedy i know it is but it is inevitable this type of nature is because the world has limited resources and human nature has a tendency to abuse weak people by the strong we got to apply realist applying realist principle is the best way because of one because of nature of unpredictability where you just can't figure out when you'll how you can't predict when you'll have a stable access, when you're not when you're strong when you're weak you can't see your future so you don't know if even if you're in the United States, you don't know how long you're going to be strong in having access to security, food, water, energy, et cetera, et cetera, for the people to live stable lives. You don't know how long that's going to last, so you've got to devise all these strategies to continue to have more access to that compared to other countries. And you can't blame the United States for, for what you would maybe call hoarding all those resources while leaving other countries, because how are they supposed to know whether... You do that, that's what the future holds. If the entire world somehow comes to compromise, we'll distribute it, we'll distribute security, we'll distribute economy, we'll distribute resources. Like that that that. based on these 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 principles where it's predictable, where you can see how the pattern works across the world, you might know. But that's not but here's the thing you can't read other people's minds. You don't know what's in what's in other people's head what's what's in other people's heads. You don't know. And there's that nature of uncertainty Also, people are inherently selfish. How can you, and also, how can you trust that? If let's say you come to an agreement where, or there's five hot dogs, or there's five hot dogs among seven people, let's say these seven people come to an agreement, let's divide it into sevenths. How can you trust that this seventh is going to be distributed evenly, stably, and consistently based on principles? How can you trust them? How can you trust it? How is it going to happen? Who's going to do it? How is, and, How long is going to work, and what is going to, what is necessary to do it? There's just so many obstacles for preventing this type of utopian equal distribution of resources all across the world, and this type of utopian cooperation that it's unrealistic. It isn't going to happen, and that's human nature. So what happens? So can we prevent those type of conflicts like Britain and Germany? The equivalent of that right now is the U.S. and China. Can we prevent US and China from having this conflict? No, we can't. It doesn't work. China have no, in no way, no evidence, no way to trust the United States that they'll give them the stable amount of resources and nature. While the United States can't trust China that they'll help, they'll be helpful if China is a stronger nation. So you got to hold on to power. You got to have power to make sure you yourself can have access to those resources and the basic necessities. You yourself can acquire them, not relying or somehow compromising with other countries. You gotta do it yourself. And that, and how do you do that is based on power. Power is the most important element for you to have certainty in acquiring basic resources for people, for your people to live better lives. So this type of world government... Or utopian principles where the world every every humanity works together. I'm sorry. As much as I love for that to happen is impossible. So I think you know where I'm going here. I'm basically saying the current system sucks. The globalization the liberal hegemony, where you say democracy can be spread all over the world, and yada yada, and the UN, and the global institutions like the UN trying to work together, have work, countries work together on various, various agendas, the world, humanity is facing as a whole with things like Davos, Hormuz, etc., etc. These things are baloney. They don't work. They were never working, and they never work. They never were never bound to work, and they never were. But because after the Cold War, we had this atmosphere where the United States could do anything because they were the lone superpower. We thought the United States could change the world into the into the way they pleased. And the world they wanted was a world where the entire world were in a democracy with basic Western principles like human rights, and etc., etc., and cooperate in a global institutions like the U.N., in the like the UN, to live world peace, like well, like Francis Fukuyama's famous book, the end of history. These are all baloney. These are all delusional. The world was never meant for a system. How can people? How can those countries trust the United States that they'll represent their interests? How can other countries are ever going to trust that? It doesn't work. They as for reasons as So I'm here. To basically attack the current system, to uh, to say the current system is flawed and is subject to change, and that is how I'm going to apply them because our current system is so far from realist principles, has gone so far astray. The war on terror, for, and this is by the way, this is not a liberal and conservative issue. This is. This isn't but this applies on both sides. For example, on the Conservative side there was the war on terror, saying we gotta get rid of these Islamists and these radical terrorists, these Muslims are evil and yada yada yada. Baloney. It is not in your national for the United What did the United States gain by invading Iraq, by invading Afghanistan, by invading that? Our reason was saying to make the world a better place. Why is that our why does the United States supposed to do that? We gotta support. We gotta focus on our people. We gotta focus on our people's needs, oh, and then they say all oh, the threat of terrorism. The threat of terrorism. Let's just look, look at just look at terrorists in an objective term. Let's look at our economy. We are the most powerful country in the world, with the most powerful military, powerful economy, powerful everything. The terrorists don't have a country, don't have money. They're very poor. They're dirtbags. Their militaries so are pathetic compared to us. It's we. They're way, way, way weaker than the United States. So to think that they are somehow a threat to the Americans it doesn't make sense either because we are way 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 stronger so the war on terror also does not meet realist principles because it was based on an idea that we're going to get rid of these radical terrorists and change the world where terrorism doesn't exist i'm sorry and these type of conflicts don't exist so that the world can apply operate peacefully that's why we did the war on terror <laughs> i'm sorry it's not gonna work it's not gonna work and attack all sorts of excesses I'll mention in the future, but because to talk about that, it has to have to talk for like at least three hours to explain all the excesses of the war on terror that the conservatives waged against the Islamists, which was a total failure, as you've seen recently in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is the example that the war on terror was a complete failure and below it. So that's the conservative side. The war on terror, this belief that the Western, Western culture, American culture is going to be spread all across the world and we are going to rule and that's how the world is going to be a better place. This is also delusional. Why is American culture the best? Why is China or other countries supposed to think, you know, American culture is the best? They have their own history, their own way of life. Who are we? What gives us the authority, the United States, to say we are better? We're better. We're superior. Doesn't that sound arrogant? Doesn't that sound weird? And by the way, I'm a conservative. As a, by the way, I'm a conservative and a Republican. And even, by the way, me saying this, and that is just the most arrogant thing ever. What you're telling other countries, like the Muslims or the people in the Middle East, South Korea or all sorts of other countries in the world, saying the United States is the best, so you, you guys scrap your cultures and follow our way. You know, they have the 2,000 wave of history. They have their own culture. You can't just tell them your culture sucks. So get rid of that. That is one very offensive, that is one very ignorant, one very offensive, and three, not true. I mean, you can think your culture is the best, but that's completely different from saying telling other countries to scrap their culture and follow our way of life. This, first of all, they're not going to. One, they're not going to. Two, it's not going to work. And three, it's arrogant and very, very offensive, and you think world peace and... World peace and cooperation is going to operate when you have just offended like basically the entire world other than the United States saying our culture is the best, so follow us. You think cooperation is going to happen under that environment? You don't think China is going to be angry or feel offended by that and not like the United States or other countries? No, it's not going to work. So the conservatives are delusional in that sense. How are the liberals delusional? Liberals are delusional thinking... Also, believing in globalist principles, thinking that the u n can promote human rights or fight combat racism, sexism, homophobia xenophobia tendencies, etc cetera, etc, cetera. and the world can live in harmony and based on with basic utopia, as i've mentioned in or in this in earlier in this poc- in this episode that's not going to work. How can people trust each other? Where is the incentive for people? to unite like that and to cooperate based on human rights and this and how can you get them to agree with that? How can you get a consensus based on human rights or racism or yada yada? How do other people and why are people supposed to agree with those ways methods of approach to get rid of them? I mean if let's say the racism and xenophobic tendencies that liberals say are all across the world that we need to get rid of are true how is the cooperation going to work and where's the guarantee that that method is right and that is also a very ignorant way of approaching culture you call the cultures homophobic, sexist, racist, blah 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 blah. you don't think those countries are going to be offended like when you like for example when liberals were attacking um, attack americans american culture with blm and all sorts of things calling us calling america systemically racist and yada yada you don't think americans Like American traditional values aren't going to be offended when listening to that, so you think they're gonna when listening to that are gonna work with you and cooperate with you? First of all, it's not factually true, which I'll explain later on. But this type of method and this type of strategical approach and this type of this notion that the world can work together isn't isn't going to work. It is perfect, it's baloney in a number of ways, and will and against realist principles and and the proof that i'm right and the the globalists are wrong is the state of the world today look at america today we are very very divided our economy is has a very unequal tendency it's the middle class is destroyed right now the poverty rates are very high our economy benefits mostly the wealthy and etc etc it has all sorts of problems why i 'll explain to this in the greater depth, applying realist principles, but that is proof that globalization globalism and the utopianism that the liberals but that the liberal the neoliberals were advocating for on the one hand and the neocons were advocating on the other, both parties were fundamentally wrong globalization or the liberal globalization globalism that they, the ideological aspect of it is a total failure and i'm here by the way i'm not condemning globalization in general globalization and to some degree is inevitable to inevitable with the technological revolution and, and et, cetera, et cetera. i'm not we got to cooperate with the world i'm not an isolationist i believe in having america cooperating with, with other countries of the world i'm just saying where the entire world works together in a consensus way to establish this type of world with this goal in mind this world That is bound to failure, and if you see the American system today, it is living proof that those ideologies don't work, and and people think, then what is the solution? What is the alternative? I'm here to provide the alternative with my realist principles. Realism is the way, and by the way, this surpasses ideological things. I'm a conservative, and I will be talking about my conservative principles later on in this podcast, but... This has not, this mostly has nothing to do with it. It is just about realism and applying our strategy based on a realistic lens. Not an ideological lens like, oh, we're a democracy, they're a dictatorship, we're, we're not racist, they are racist. Not this type of kind of, kind of dichotomatic approach where you castigate the other side as bad and evil while you're good. Not this type of approach, but based on realistic principles where hmm, what is the best way for our people to live better lives? What is realistically the best way? Putting all sorts of those kind of lenses and prejudices that kind of cloud us from approaching it that kind of way, putting all that in the trash, I'm, that's how I'm going to talk about the news and will say, And I'll talk about history and culture also, like I did about Theodore Roosevelt and Churchill as, as now. But that is how I'm going to approach this. Thank you. For listening to episode 2 of my podcast and starting episode 3 I will be talking about news, I will be talking about real issues, modern issues also I'll be talking about history and culture because I'm also interested in that as I, as you've clearly seen and this is the end of my episode, in episode 3 I'll be talking about more of my kind of conservative side and, and why I support Donald Trump and why it matches with my realist principles to support America First the MAGA agenda, etc, etc You might already kind of got hints of it in this podcast of why I support America first, but I am going to give you my descriptive insight into why I support Donald Trump, the MAGA movement, and conservatism overall, rather than liberals, despite conservatives having a lot of issues. Thank you for listening.